Welcome to the Sadler Lectures podcast. Responding to popular demand, I'm converting my philosophy videos into sound files you can listen to anywhere you can take an MP3. If you like what you hear and want to support my work, go to patreon.com sadler. I hope you enjoy this lecture. In chapters two and six of Tragic Sense of Life, you'll see Miguel de Unamuno bringing Descartes up, René Descartes, the great 17th century, early modern rationalist philosopher. Some would actually call him one of the fathers of modern Western philosophy, even of modernity. You're going to see Miguel de Unamuno bringing Descartes up and criticizing a kind of mistake that he thinks Descartes made in how he's doing philosophy. And Descartes is not unique in this. There's others that Unamuno is criticizing as well. But the Cartesian mistake is one that's particularly emblematic. And by looking at Unamuno's argument here, his criticisms here, his what he's preferring to us in place of what Descartes is providing, we can learn more about Unamuno's own perspective. And it is good to call it the Cartesian mistake and not simply the mistake of René Descartes because of the very nature of what's happening there. Descartes thought that you could reduce philosophy in effect to a method and then results of that method that he was putting into place and providing us in the discourse on method and then showing us applied in the meditations on first philosophy. And Cartesian approaches in philosophy, the, the method that Descartes is using, there's a big mistake involved there, according to Unamuno. And this is a, as he calls it, a resolution to begin by emptying himself of himself. And here we could actually pause for just a moment, because when we see that language of emptying, there's a lot of people who, influenced by other philosophical movements, would be like, well, that's really great, man. You should empty yourself of ego. You should be as objective as possible and try to think as if you were like the, the person who isn't really a person, who's, who's all people, right? Empty yourself of all of these previous experiences and assumptions. That's so wonderful. And Unamuno would say, no, that's a terrible idea. I mean, you can do that if you want to. That is a possibility for human beings. That's a great way to generate bad philosophy. Descartes is sort of like good bad philosophy, according to Unamuno. He's certainly worth reading, but he's making a fundamental error. And so he tells us that the defect of Descartes' discourse of method is not in the antecedent methodological doubt, not in beginning by resolving to doubt everything, but in his resolution about how he's doing this, to begin by emptying himself of himself, of Descartes, of the real man, the man of flesh and bone, the man who does not want to die, in order that he may be a mere thinker that is an abstraction. Now, isn't that an interesting idea? Descartes is probably doing exactly that. We don't know exactly what was in his head as he was writing these things, because what we have is Descartes the writer, not Descartes the person engaging in the writing. The meditations, the you could call it the character of the meditations, is not 
Rene Descartes himself. We don't know that these meditations are precisely what he went through in the stove heated room in Germany during the 30 years war while he was in winter quarters. We have a presentation and a presentation that is in the first person and is leading us along, inviting us to join in on the journey. And the more that we can abstract away from ourselves, the more we can participate in this journey and follow along. So there's kind of an interesting tension here. And Unumuno actually points this out. He says Descartes didn't completely succeed in this. He couldn't keep the real man out entirely. And he references the biographical parts of the Discourse on Method, where Descartes talks about you know, his learning and then how he came across the rules of method and the provisional morality. So parts one through three of that. But even that is pretty abstract. Anybody could step into Descartes' proverbial shoes, right? That's the way these fascinating works of philosophy are, are designed. And so Unamuno plays around a little bit with this stove heated room idea. It, you know, the, the word poel, yes, it means stove. Descartes did not actually carry out his meditations inside of a stove, right? But it's a, a room in which he's, he's in. So he, he says he began to philosophize. But in Germany, shut up in a stove and such as discourse is a stove discourse. And the stove is a German one, although the philosopher shut up and it was a Frenchman. And then he also says that these doubts that Descartes is expressing are stove doubts a little bit later in chapter six. So this is something key. This is the mistake, abstracting away from who you actually are as a human being and not philosophizing from that basis, but from the basis of an imaginary person who is this every man or every person that the Cartesian subject is supposed to be. Looking at Cartesian doubt, he calls it an intellectual device. And he tells us, this is in uh, chapter six, that Descartes degrades doubt to the function of a method. It's part of the Cartesian method. It's one of the things that that method does. It's actually, you know, one of the main rules from the discourse on method. And Unamuno calls this comic doubt. What does he mean by comic doubt? Does he mean it's making us laugh? No, if you think about the way in which tragedy and comedy have been understood really since the time of Aristotle, comedy doesn't grasp what's really essential in existence and tragedy in some way does, if it's good tragedy. Comedy allows us to laugh because it's about BS. It's about, you know, silly nonsense. It's about things that we take seriously, but then it turns out they don't really matter quite as much. So here's what Unamuno has to say about this comic doubt. He says that it's a doubt purely theoretical and provisional. Theoretical meaning that it doesn't really affect our practical life. Provisional meaning that we're not going to stay in doubt forever. Although we will probably still doubt a lot of things if we're Cartesians. Anything that we don't really have good evidence for or can provide a good argument for, we're, we're supposed to suspend assent, that is to, to doubt. But this is not the kind of doubt that Unamuno is saying we ought to have, the doubt that is actually going to be characteristic of the tragic sense of life. So he says, because it was a stove excogiated doubt, a, a, a doubt that was thought out within a stove heated room, the man who deduced that he existed from the fact that he thought did not approve of those turbulent and restless persons who being called neither by birth nor fortune of the management of public affairs are perpetually devising some new reformation. That's in the, the discourse, right? And he was pained by the suspicion there might be something of this kind in his own writings. 
And then Unamuno goes on and he says, no, he, Descartes, proposed only to reform his own thoughts and to build upon ground that was wholly his. So the doubt means I'm going to sweep away everything else and build on things that I myself can learn. But these aren't going to be things from my, you could say, existential condition. These are only going to be thoughts that I could be sharing in common with anybody else. He says, he resolved not to accept anything as true when he did not recognize it to be clearly so, and to make a clean sweep of all prejudices and received ideas to the end he might con construct his intellectual habitation anew. And then he had a sort of provisional ethic, a morale de provision, and a provisional religion, and even a provisional God. And then Unamuno goes on and he says, this methodological theoretical Cartesian doubt is not the skepticism, is not the incertitude that I'm talking about here, passionate doubt. And that gets to something. You can carry out Cartesian doubt without really feeling anything. You could do it as a pure mind. And Descartes kind of presents himself as if he's doing that. There are two important exceptions, you could say, in the meditations, where these come through the field of similes or likenesses or images. The image of being thrown into deep water and being on the surface and not knowing whether there's a bottom to actually touch or not, and then worrying about that, worrying that you'll never arrive at truth. And then the figure of the servant who is asleep, dreaming, knows that he's dreaming, doesn't want to wake up because he knows that the real waking world is crappier than the nice world that he's in right now. Those, you could say, are expressing something like Unamuno's passionate existential doubt, but those appear for just a moment and then we pass on in the rest of the meditations. So Cartesian doubt turns out to be something that doesn't go through the entire person, which makes sense because you're not philosophizing with the entire person. And here we get to the crux of it in looking at the Cartesian cogito. Descartes is very famous for having said cogito ergo sum. Actually, he only says that at one point. There's a lot of other formulations, right? And the idea behind this is I can know that I exist because I think. And it's not just about I exist or I am, however we want to translate the sum. It's really about the kind of thing that I am. What do I discover myself as? What sort of being am I? And that means being a thinking substance. And so there's a reduction of the human being to just being thought not extension. Unamuno is going to talk about that at a few other places in other chapters, saying that this was another part of Descartes' mistake, distinguishing mind and body and not finding a way to, to reconnect them, which Descartes knew was, was a serious problem. As a matter of fact, if you look at the correspondence with Princess Elizabeth of Bohemia, that is one of the central issues that they're talking about. And that was something that Descartes is trying to address in his last big work, The Passions of the Soul. But Unamuno is saying something quite interesting here. And this shows, again, you could say his own existential position. He says about Descartes, he arrives at the cogito ergo sum, which St. Augustine had already anticipated. But the ego, implicit in this enthymeme, ego cogito ergo ego sum, is an unreal, that is an ideal ego or I, and it's sum, its existence, something unreal as well. That's an important point. He goes, I think, therefore I am, can only mean I think, therefore I am a thinker. This being of the I am, which is deduced from the I think, is merely a knowing this being is knowledge, but not life. There is so much more to a human being that Descartes is not 
getting. And you can say, well, wait a second. Descartes talks about other kinds of thoughts and sensations. And he does have the passions of the soul, which he writes towards the end of his life. So isn't he addressing this? And you can say, well, yes. And those are examples of what Unamuno was saying, the man, the actual existentially concrete existing human being sort of revolts against this abstraction of a ego that isn't a, even a real ego. It's not a real I. It's just this literary theoretical device. You can say that that happens, but it's not happening in the meditations, it's not happening in the discourse. And so Unamuno goes on and says, the truth is sum e ergo cogito. I am, therefore I think. Although not everything that is thinks is not consciousness of thinking above all consciousness of being. Is pure thought possible without consciousness of self, without personality? Can there exist pure knowledge without feeling, without that species of materiality which feeling lends to it? Do we not perhaps, now here's a brilliant thing, do we not perhaps feel thought? And do we not feel ourselves in the act of knowing and willing? He has some interesting suggestions here. Could not the man in the stove, that is Descartes, have said, I feel, therefore I am, or I will, therefore I am. Why does thought, pure thought, intellection, take priority over feeling and volition, affectivity, broadly speaking? And that's not just a criticism of Descartes. That can be applied to pretty much everybody who has the feeling of intellection or, or reason or whatever we're going to call it, above and separated from all of our affective faculties or capacities. So we could have just as well have said, I feel or I will, therefore I am, right? And he tells us that the primary reality is really that I live, therefore I think. We don't think in an abstract vacuum unless we deliberately through thought place ourselves there and maintain ourselves there. And that he thinks is a key aspect of this Cartesian mistake. So at its bottom, the Cartesian mistake is of abstracting away from the people that we are and cutting ourselves off from our roots in life. Special thanks to all of my Patreon supporters for making this podcast possible. You can find me on Twitter at Philosopher70, on YouTube at the Gregory B. Sadler channel, and on Facebook on the Gregory B. Sadler page. Once again, to support my work, go to patreon.com Sadler. Above all, keep studying these great philosophical works.